Well, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Say amen when you're there. Some of you are slow. Some of you are fast. If you've got cheat tabs, that's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Again, this week we're reading out of the common English. So pretty much he's putting a bunch of people in this one pot here together. He says, some of you used to what? Used to be like that. You used to be like that. Look at your neighbor and say, you, uh, never mind, don't say that. Okay. <laughs> you can say it under your breath. But now the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in the power of God's spirit has washed you and made you holy and acceptable to God. Can we just give God a praise right there? Come on, somebody. Think about that. Give God a praise. Come on, everybody. That's a big deal. And he says, some of you used to be like that, but now the name of our Lord Jesus Christ in the power of God's spirit. So Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been washed and made holy and acceptable to God. God, I thank you for today. Thank you for this moment. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to a real cross to die a real death who is truly dead for three days, rose again. The Bible says that he sits at your right hand and makes intercession for us. And then you went on to say, Lord, in Acts chapter 1, before you left to go into heaven, Lord, that you said that you're not going to leave us alone, but that you would leave us Holy Spirit, and that he's in this room with us. He abides in our lives, and he's the one that convicts us of sin. He is the one that reminds us if we're on the wrong path. He is the one that guides us and directs us, Lord, that when, when you said that you order the steps of a righteous man or woman, it is Holy Spirit that is leading us in that correct path and that he is here to lead us in the correct way today and that we would yield to him and be obedient to his voice today. And we thank you for that. And God's people said, amen, so be it. He says that you used to be that way and used to cheat on others. You used to do terrible things. You used to be someone else, but he says, now you're not that person anymore. And that because of what Jesus did on the cross and the precious Holy Spirit, you've now been made acceptable to God. Has anyone in here been to a high school reunion like maybe this year and in the last five years or so? Anybody brave enough to raise your hand? Yeah, yeah, okay, we got some people to raise your hand up, right? So I've actually been out of high school 20, a little more than 20 years now. It's crazy to even think that. I know I don't look that old. I know, I know easy. I know. But I have. Now, I didn't make it to my 20th high school reunion. However, you know, because of Facebook and social media, you can keep up with people. All right. You can do the Facebook stalk thing. Some, did anybody here do the Facebook stalk thing? Yeah. Well, some people actually raised their hand. Okay. That was, I didn't expect anybody to. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you can follow people. So there's people that I, I follow from high school and we keep in touch or whatever. And, and uh, recently, uh, Salado played a Caldwell where, where John and I grew up. John graduated high school from Caldwell. When we moved here, uh, I was uh, just finished my freshman year. So I finished high school here in Belton. So John went and saw some his friends from high school recently in Caldwell. And, and, uh, but I keep up with some friends from high school and I still, still see some of them today. I, I still see some of my high school friends today, but every now and again, my path will cross with someone who I haven't seen since I was 18 years old. And now that I'm nine years old, um, you know, a lot of time has passed and 
I see them. And so instantly when I see some of these people, they're like, hey, what are you doing now? And I'm like a pastor. And they're like, what? Did you say that in my good ear, right? They're like, you're a pastor? I was like, yeah. The problem is they knew a different guy than the guy that exists today. What they don't know is I killed that guy a long time ago. He's buried in a hill somewhere in South Texas. Amen? Come on, somebody. Now, please know that I'm not genuinely saying I killed someone. Police officer. (laughs) Sorry, my glasses are genuinely dirty. I got spots here. So... But that old guy is dead, and so when I see someone now, now raise your hand if you're if you're okay admitting this. If, does that happen to is anyone? Has that ever happened to anyone else? You know, after you met Jesus, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, awesome. A lot of hands are up. Okay, so you know, you you used to live away a certain way, and some people know you from that those times. Like, and if you were to get together, all that you would have in common is the stuff that you used to do. And so there's some fun times we would reminisce a little bit. Yeah, do you remember when we used to do this? Or, you know, not something too terrible, but yeah, I remember when we used to do this or we used to do that. Maybe pull some shenanigans or whatever. I posted recently uh, a prank that my son played on me, a prank that I taught him, uh, which what I didn't post was the full video of it, right? And so he had me walk into saran wrap and then he uh, put baby powder in a hairdryer and blew it in my face and um, I'm like the student has become the teacher kind of thing, you know? And so we talk about some of the pranks and the shenanigans we used to do, but if I'm not careful, the only thing I have in common with them is the guy that I used to be and the things that I used to do. And so that guy is dead and there's a new guy that's been born. And this guy doesn't know how to talk about those things because this guy doesn't do what that guy used to do. And if I put this guy now and that old guy in a room, only one guy's going to come out. Because <laughs> this guy's going to kill that old guy again. And so, as Paul is writing to the early church, the Corinthians who were living in Corinth, as he's writing to them, he's saying, Now, listen, a bunch of you used to be terrible people, awful people. Terrible, not just terrible, used to be terrible. Somebody say terrible. Used to be terrible, awful people. He says, you used to be that way. You used to be very immoral. You used to have terrible thoughts and think sick thoughts and, and, and used to be just a terrible person, an awful person. Nobody wanted to be around. You were the Grinch. You were awful. Nobody, you were just terrible. You were the scum of the earth. Thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks for reminding us of how bad we used to be. As if the devil didn't do that. You felt the need to write that in your letter to us of how bad we are. You know, if you're looking to encourage someone, maybe don't write like Paul's writing. He says, listen, let me just tell you how awful you used to be. You worshiped idols. You were unfaithful in marriage and you were greedy and you were a thief. You were a drunkard and you cursed and you cheated people. But some of you used to be like that. But now the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God's Spirit has washed you and made you holy and acceptable to God. 
My wife has already read 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things are passed away and everything has been made new. It says in the common English version, anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. Can, can you say amen? The past is what? The past is what? So he's saying that, that what you used to do and who you used to be, what your story used to read like, it's been forgotten. It's been forgotten. And everything has been made new. Everybody say everything. Everything. Think about that, church. Everything. Your mind, your eyes, your ears, your heart, your tongue, your mouth, your soul, everything has been made new. That's a beautiful, powerful thing to know today. And so what does the devil do? He likes to go and dig up old bodies, doesn't he? Anybody find that in your life? Like the devil knows where you buried your old person at? And he's like a grave digger. And he goes up and he digs up that person. And anything that dies begins to stink. And he digs up that old person and he picks that old person up and he brings him to your front door sometimes. And he bangs on your door and you open the door and he's like, hey, look what I found. It's like your dog that killed something and drags it to the porch to show you what it did. Does anybody else have an animal that does that, a cat or a dog? You know, they're real proud of it. They kill it, and they drag it to the porch right to the door where you can see it and you can smell it. And, and you know, you're proud of your dog. And so this is what the devil does. He pulls, he goes, and he digs up your old self, and he brings him to you, and he says, Hey, do you remember who you used to be? Do you remember what you used to say? Do you remember what you used to think? Do you remember what you used to do? Do you remember where you used to go? And then you get to tell him where he gets to go. Why don't you go to hell? Amen? Come on, somebody. That's right. I said it'll be on the podcast. And I tell the devil, go to hell. Go back to where you came from. Because that old guy is dead. Jesus declared that I'm a new person. I'm sorry. But that old person, give God a praise. He doesn't exist anymore because God says that he forgets about it. And so I'm going to start forgetting about it. I think some of us need to start forgetting some things. You need to become a little spiritual senile. Spiritually senile. Where you start forgetting who you used to be. Start forgetting about what you used to do. Start forgetting about what you used to say. Because God says through the blood of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit that you have been made new. Now look at your, per- your neighbor and say, you're a new creation. Say, you're a new person. Say, that old person is gone. Say, that old person is dead. All right. Now let's not all start posting on social media that we killed somebody. Or like, uh, Pastor Matt says he killed somebody in South Texas. No, 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 don't. I mean, no, let's be careful. (laughs) The best part of your story is yet to be written. The best part of your story is yet to be written. The best part of your story is yet to be written. Everyone say this after me. The best part of my story is yet to be written. Now, how do I know that? Because I know the author. Because I know the one who's writing right now. Because I know the author, I know who's holding the pen right now, and I know that the best stuff that he has yet to he has yet to come up with his best stuff for your life. That there's still some stuff 
that he wants to write in your life. And the best is yet to come. And, and maybe you're in here today and you're in your 60s or your 70s or 80s or you're approaching your 90s and you're saying, Pastor Matt, there's no way that God can write stuff that's even better. And I'm saying, absolutely, he can. That if you're breathing air today, no matter if you're barely breathing or if you're, if you're taking up a lot of space, but if you're breathing a lot of air, if you're breathing air today, I know that the best part of your life has yet to be written because I know the author. And God is the only person who can outdo himself every time. Amen? And the best part of your story, the best part of your life is yet to be written. Somebody shout amen. Give God a praise right there. Come on, somebody. The best part of your story is yet to be written. I know many of us sometimes we feel like we've been forgotten about. We feel like I know the temptation sometimes to look across the aisle, look at the other person that drives their new car into church or drives at their new car beside you and parks beside you at work or you look at another marriage and you envy that marriage or Perhaps there's a, a woman in here today that, that your husband is not everything that you want him to be. And if you're not careful, you start fantasizing in your mind about another man or what you want your husband to be. Can I say just be careful there? Or for the men in the house, your wife, you know, you don't feel like she's serving you like she should. Or she's not pleasing you like she should. And you start fantasizing in your head about another woman. Can I tell you, be careful there? And we start wishing and we start wanting and we feel like God has forgotten about us sometimes. Is anybody brave enough to raise your hand and say, I have felt that way before? Thank you for the honest people in here. If I'm transparent with you as your pastor, I would raise my hand and say, there are moments in my life, there have been moments where I have felt like God has forgotten about me. Where I have felt delayed or I've even felt denied by God. I felt like he's been delaying his blessings for whatever reason. I feel like sometimes like he has denied me blessings in my life. Can I tell you that you are not delayed and you are not denied? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you are not delayed. Say, you are not denied. Your path to significance has just begun, church. That you are significant and that you matter. I know this because I know the author. And that you are significant and that you matter to God. You are significant to what he is doing. You matter to the universe. You matter to God. You matter to his plan and what he's doing. You are part of his plan. You are a part of salvation. You are part of his story. How beautiful is that? To know that each and every one of us have been included in God's story. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty amazing to know that God has written us into the story of this world, that he has brought characters along and he has placed us into his story right now that we weren't born a hundred years ago, but that God has us right now that we exist in this time for a reason. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, you're here for a reason. And maybe that's just to annoy the person next to you. I don't know. Amen. <laughs> she clapped. That's awesome. <laughs> but we matter to the king. We matter to the king. I want to read you a story. I'm going to read just a part of it. It's, it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I need you to turn there. It's in the Bible app. It's in the notes. If you want to open the Bible app, you can have it right there. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to read only two verses out of this story. But as you're turning there, as you're looking on the screen, let me tell you what's happening here. 
David is reaching the end of his life. Um, does everybody know when I say David, I'm talking about David of the Old Testament, King David, the, who Jesus came from, his lineage, right? So, right, there was Saul in, in the nation of Israel. We had, the, we had the book of Judges, and we have First and Second Samuel. And, and, and so what happens in, what happens in Judges is there, there were literally judges who, who ruled the land, and they, they would uh, give orders, if you will. They would say what is right, what is wrong, and the oracles and the decrees of God. And we had many different judges. And, and, and the, the nation of Israel, they wanted a king, and they said, we want to be like everybody else. So God gave them Saul. Everyone say Saul. All right, so then, then along comes David. David kills a bear, and he kills a lion. He kills Goliath, and eventually David becomes king. And so Saul has a son named Jonathan. Everyone say Jonathan. And Jonathan and David become best friends. They were BFFs before BFFs existed. They were best friends forever. And so David and Jonathan became best friends. And Jonathan died, but not before he had a son named Mephibosheth. Now, everybody say Mephibosheth. Yeah, nobody's brave enough to say it, even though you see it up there. Now, I'm just saying, like, if you're coming up with names... This is not one that you want to name your kid. Like, if you hate your kid, name him Mephibosheth. But I'm just saying, all the names, because this name doesn't mean anything great. It means, like, time for God, that God had forgotten about him. It literally means that. And so, so, so Jonathan names his son Mephibosheth. At any rate, I don't know what's up with Jonathan. But Jonathan and David were best friends. David is at the end of his life. He's, he knows he's dying. He knows he doesn't have a lot of time left. And he remembers about his best friend. He starts remembering all the stuff that him and Jonathan used to do. David begins to remember how when his, his best friend's dad, Saul, was trying to kill David, how Jonathan went behind his dad's back, Saul, and protected his best friend, David. And so David starts remembering all this, and he's kind of thanking God. God, thank you for Jonathan. Thank you for putting him in my life. And Jonathan is dead, and much like my friends here today, like a, a close friend of mine or someone who were to pass away, I would want to find a way to honor them. Wouldn't you want to do that? Like, you know, someone you love, someone close to you when they die, we want to find ways to honor them, right? We want to honor their life somehow. So David remembers his friend Jonathan, and he says, who can... How can I honor Jonathan? What can I do to honor him? And so David gets his servants together and he sends them out and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to see if there's anyone left from Jonathan's life, anyone in his family that I can bless because I'm still the king. I can still bless. Now hear my heart, church. This is after David's sin with Bathsheba, right? This is a long time after that. So David has reconciled his relationship with God. He's still king, and he thinks about his best friend. He says, there's someone in Jonathan's family who I can still bless. And so they come back to David, and they say, you know what? We found someone. We found one of his sons, Mephibosheth. That's right. And so David says, bring him to me because I want to bless him. So David sent some servants to bring Jonathan's son from Lodabar. So not only is his name Mephibosheth, but he lives in a place called Lodabar. I'm just saying. <laughs> and his name was Mephibosheth, and he was the grandson of Saul, and he came to David, and he knelt down, and David asked, are you this guy that we don't want to say his name because it's weird. And he says, yes, I am your majesty. 
And the next verse says, don't be afraid. I'll be kind to you because Jonathan was your father. Can I tell you something? Can we just stop there real quick? That some of you are blessed today because you had a grandparent that loved God and served God. And you're here today because a grandmother or a grandfather or a mother or a father was praying for you. And you need to call them today if they're alive and say, thank you for praying for me. Amen. And so Mephibosheth is blessed not because of who he is or anything that he did. Hear my heart, church, today. He's blessed because of who his dad was. So he says, Jonathan was your father, and I'm going to give you back the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. And besides that, you will always eat with me at my table. Now this guy, Mephibosheth, he was lame. If the whole story is that that when he was young, his maid, his mom's maidservant picked him up and she tripped and fell and she dropped him and he hit his head and he lost feeling. He became paralyzed. And, and from the waist down, he couldn't move. That's what the Bible tells us. This. So his whole life, his legs, he couldn't move his legs. He, is, he, he had like club feet, the Bible says. And, and he was living in a place called Lodabar. And Lodabar... It literally means no pasture. That's what Lodabar means, no pasture. And I'm talking about feeling delayed, and I'm talking about in your story when you feel delayed and when you feel denied by God. But can I tell you today, I believe some of you are hearing this message because God is saying, I have not forgotten about you. Miguel, I have not forgotten about you, Larry. I've not forgotten about you, Joey. He said, I'm not forgetting who you are. And because of my son, Jesus, I'm getting ready to bless you. And I'm going to bring you to a place. Come on, somebody that you don't deserve, that you don't really belong there. But because of my son, I'm giving you a spot at the table. And you've been in Lodabar. You've been in a place that means no blessing. And God says, because of my son, Jesus, not because of anything that you have done. We were filthy, rotten animals, church. But because Jesus loved us and died on a cross because of his sacrifice, we now get a spot at the table. And Mephibosheth comes into the house of David and he doesn't eat with the servants. He doesn't eat out in the stables or at another servant's house, but he eats at the king's table the rest of his life. Can I tell you that when you feel delayed and when you feel denied, that means that you are the closest you've ever been to the place that God is wanting to bring you to. Amen. Give God a praise today in this place. Look at your neighbor and say, don't quit. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Probably one of the greatest examples I can think of persistency of not giving up is our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln. Let me just tell you a little bit about his life. He was born into poverty. He faced defeat throughout his life. He lost eight elections, fell twice in business, went bankrupt twice had a nervous breakdown before he was ever elected president. In 1816, his family was forced out of their home, so he had to support them. In 1818, his mother died. In 1831, he failed in his first business. 
1832, he ran for state legislature and lost. 1832, that same year, he also lost his job and wanted to go to law school, but was denied. In 1833, he borrowed some money from a friend, began his first business. In that same year, he went bankrupt, spent the next six, 17 years of his life paying off that debt. In 1834, he ran for state legislature again, and he won. In 1835, he was engaged to his first wife. She died. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown and was in bed for six months. In 1838, he sought to become Speaker of the House, and he was defeated. In 1840, he sought to become the elector of his county. He was defeated. In 1843, he ran for Congress and lost. In 1846, he ran for Congress again. This time he won and went to Washington and did an actual, actually did a good job. In 1848, he ran for re-election and lost. In 1849, he sought the job of land officer in his state and lost. In 1854, he ran for Senate of the United States and lost. In 1856, he sought the vice presidency of his nomination for his party and got less than 100 votes. In 1858, he ran for U.S. Senate again, and he lost. And in 1860, he was elected the 16th president of the United States. Went on to lead our nation through probably its darkest moment of the Civil War. Wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, freeing slaves all across the nation. Can I tell you, don't give up. Amen? Don't give up. Look at your neighbor and say, don't give up. Look at your other neighbors say, don't give up. Can I tell you, church, listen, today God is calling you to risk it all. It's easy for us to hear that and kind of be motivated and say, man, yeah, I'm not going to give up. But in order to be that person, you have to be willing to hedge all of your bets. Think about it this way, if you will, hear my heart today, like a poker game. And some of us today... God is calling us to go all in. He's asking you to take all of our chips and push them all to the center of the table. But but this is what we do with our faith. We'll keep a little bit back and we'll say, God, you can have this much, but this 20% I'm going to keep. And you have 80% of my life, but 20% I want to guard and I want to protect just in case something doesn't go right. That's not faith. That's fear. Faith says, you know what, God, I'm going all in with you today. Everything, my marriage, my home, my finances, my career, my wife, my husband, my children, I'm going all in with you. I'm hedging everything I have on the fact that you are exactly who you say you are, and you're going to do exactly what you said you would do in my life. I'm going all in today. I'm not going to hold back any longer. I'm not going to keep anything from you. You can have everything that I have. It's yours. Take it all, God. Take everything my emotions, everything that I am. Take it all. To, I give it all to you. I'm pushing it all in today. God, I'm going all in with you. I'm hedging all of my bets. I'm betting everything on you today, God, that you're who you say you are and that you said you're going to do, that you're going to do what you said you would do. I'm going to worship the Lord in this moment. We're going to have something happen in just a few moments. Then I'm going to come back. We're going to have an altar call. But as all of this is happening as you're thinking about your story today, as you're thinking about where you are in this very moment, as you're thinking about what's happened to you or what hasn't happened to you, or if your story hasn't gone the way that you planned it to be, can I tell you, church, that emphatically that God is not done with you. And remember, like we talked about last week, he's been thinking about you all week. 
and the week before and the week before and the week before. And tomorrow, he's going to be thinking about you. And when you go to sleep tonight and you wake up all night, he will have thought of you. While you slept, or like me, don't sleep, whatever, he's going to be thinking about you. Amen. Sorry. Are you talking to me? You want me to follow you? Surely you're mistaken. You mean the, the girl next to me, right? You see, God, I'm unworthy. It started so long ago. I remember it like yesterday. I was five years old. All the abuse, all the lying, hiding, so nobody would know. That's where the void started. That's where I began to search for love in all the wrong places. Okay, I know you don't love me, but maybe this one time, if I just give in, if I just... You were there, weren't you? You saw all those stupid mistakes I made. Remember that time I tried to defend you and had a beer in my hand and nobody would believe me? Maybe that wasn't the right choice to make either. If I only had parents that, that would take care of me and pour into me, that's not fair, God. It's not fair. Why did I have to learn that responsibility so young? No responsibility is important, but okay. How come? I get it. That life that was full of bitterness, unforgiveness, lust, the desire to be loved, is to be loved by you. That you would take this life and it would breathe you in. And that you, you would redeem me and you would call me by name so that I would be able to pour out your spirit, God, your grace, your love. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. To come to you? Why? Why do you want me to come to you? Do you remember? Were you even there? When I was taken from my mom? Give it to my dad. And then he left me with my grandmother. What? Am I just a straight dog that you're trying to find a home to? What do you want for me? You said I'm beloved. But you don't love me. You see everything that happened to me? Or you forgot how many times I had to pray because I was trying to fill the void of life with drugs and with everything else that it was there. How many times did I prayed that I would never go to jail or even get shot because of what I was at? But you said you were 
I'm your beloved. I'm not one's beloved. I am lonesome. You say you're writing a story about me. You know what? I really dislike it. Because if I had a chance, I would rip that book in half. Or you forgot the chapter when a friend of my family took advantage of me and molested me. Yeah, story that lasted a year and a half. That I was bribed with money and everything else. That I was even forced to not say anything about it. But you said you have something. That you prepare something for me. But what it is. Because even to this point. The only thing I received from my dad. Is disappointment. That I spent many years in the military. And the disapproval that he didn't even like. That I spent those years in the military. Lord. I really don't like this story. And I know you have a purpose. And I know you have a mission with me. But I don't see it and I don't like it. Because I'm unclean. I'm filthy. And I'm undeserving. But Father. You are the author. And I just surrendered all to you. Because despite if I like it or not, I have to trust you. I have to trust what you got for me. And I know that your will will be done. And at the end of that book, I know that you'll be proud of me of what I have become. So thank you, Father. Amen. You know, these are real stories, by the way. It's not just something scripted. I'm going to ask you to do something. Be very brave today. You know, as, as we're, uh, as Megan and, and Pastor Kendall are singing this song, think about the lyrics, Wanderer, Come Home. You know, I don't know what your story, well, some of you I do. Some of you, I know what your story's like. Um, I've walked with you through some of your story. But regardless of what's been written up to this point, what the enemies tried to write in your story, the horror he's tried to make it, where he's interjected his voice, where he's thrown a wrench right into the story, where out of the blue, when you didn't expect it, like a tidal wave came in and it crushed your heart, it crushed your soul. Can I tell you, church, that Jesus is here for you and that he's not done with you, that the best part is yet to be written. But I'm going to ask you to do something brave today. I'm going to ask you to do something maybe for some of you you've never done before. I'm going to challenge you to get out from where you are. Find a place at this altar. Lay your heart before God. Take your story. Lay it in the altar. And say, God, start again today. Start a new page. Start a new chapter. You can have my story. Use it for your glory. Use it for your kingdom. Use it to advance your cause. Amen. We're going to sing and we're going to worship. You're going to do whatever you're going to do. You're going to make up your mind on your own. I'm not your judge. I'm not going to beg you. I'm going to make the offer.
But I'm going to challenge you. If you want a new story today, if you want things to look different, if you want things to be different, husband and wife, things aren't working out at home, why not? What do you have to lose? Either you leave and you go home and things stay the same, or you risk it all today. For the single person in here, hedge all your bets. For the single mom, the single dad in here, push it all into the table. Push it all in today. Go all in with God. What have you got to lose? How about let's lose our lives today, amen? Let's give it all. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. We're going to stay here. We're going to pray. Before I give you a formal dismissal, we have prayer partners that will come. They'll find you. They'll pray with you, our staff, our elders. But I'm going to challenge you to risk it all today. Go all in with God today. Lord, just thank you for today. We thank you for this moment. So beautiful. So perfect. For those that are brave enough to take a step in faith. For those that hedged everything they have on you. For those that have decided to go all in with you. For those that have decided to push everything into the center of the table. To hedge all of their bets on you. Not just 80%, but 100% you can have. Lord, you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. We thank you for that, God. You're so perfect in all of your ways. God's people said, amen, so be it. Can we just give God a praise in this place?